Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. How's everybody doing tonight? Tonight we're going to continue our teaching in James. We're going to be in James chapter 3. James is a, is a tough book. I don't, know, I don't know how many people have read the book of James, but it really punches you in the stomach. Uh, it really tells you how we should walk as a Christian. And a lot of times we need to examine ourselves. Like Pastor Vinny said in one of his teachings, when do we examine ourselves? Every second. So we're going to get into chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Don't worry, it's only 18 verses. So it won't be long. But uh, I'll do it the best I can. So if you open up your books to chapter 3, and James, and begin with verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in the word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that, may, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and, we, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt and fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you notice in your Bible, 
uh, there's titles on the paragraphs, broken up in sections. It's not part of the scripture, but there's two sections in uh, chapter 3. And one section from verses 1 to 12 deal with our words, what we say, and how it affect other people, affect our souls. And the second uh, section from 13 to 18 talks about the difference between heavenly wisdom and worldly wisdom and what we, what we contradict in those both worlds. Uh, so we're going to begin in the first chapter. So, but uh, in, in <clears throat> chapter 3 in the first verse, you see that he gives a somber warning to teachers. He says, my brethren, let, my, let, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. So, God takes notice of people who preach his word. When we become teachers, we, uh, we become speaking for God. And when we do so, we have that accountability, a responsibility to what we say and what we do. I know when I prepare for teaching on Wednesday night or even my own group, I, I go through the Bible and dictionaries and, and commentary to make sure that what I'm saying is truly from the Word. You know, a lot of times, there's a lot of pastors that teach, but they teach that not from the word, but they're from their own understanding. And there's a lot of false teachers today and uh, in the past that teach that some of the things in the Bible, things that we say are sin, certain lifestyles that, that the Bible calls an abomination, is okay. And that's what they teach. And they're going to, have to be accountable for that. And Peter talked about that in Second Peter chapter two, verse one through three, where he says, But they all but they were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words for a long time. Their judgment is not denial, and the destruction does not slumber. So James, James is saying that God is listening, and he doesn't forget. And he knows who is preaching the word correctly and who isn't. And you have that responsibility as a teacher. And it's not only teaching. If it's a home group where you're sitting around a table, coffee table, and you're talking about God, and you might say, God told me I have a message for you. You better make sure that that's God talking to you. You know, God doesn't take likely messing around with his people. Right? So if you've got some kind of message that you want to give somebody, or this prophetic uh, aspiration you might have, you better make sure that it comes from God, because you're going to be holding accountable for that. And especially if you're a leader. And if anybody remembers the story about Moses in the wilderness, where he comes towards the end of his journey, 
he was denied to go to the promised land. And it, he, because of that, you know, he, he held, was held accountable to, to God. And what happened is the people were complaining about they didn't have water, and they were complaining about God being unfaithful to them and everything. So God told Moses, right, take your staff and speak to the rock, and water will come out of it. But Moses was so angry at the people and everything, he took his staff and he hit the, hit the rock. And, but, but God was gracious and the water came out. But later, God took him to the woodshed and said, Moses, I didn't tell you to hit the rock. You were angry. I was angry. I was willing to bless the people. But you showed them that I was angry and you misrepresented me. And because of that, Moses didn't go into the promised land. A lot of people thought it was because he killed the Egyptian. That wasn't it. So God holds us responsible, especially if we misrepresent them. Now, teaching shouldn't, you shouldn't get praise out of teaching God's word. Um, God's word is like telling, you know, giving praise to somebody that, for not being stupid. Now, you know God's word. You know what it is. You know, and you're not going to lie about it or make up stories about it. And you should, you should preach the word the way it is in the book. And what kind of attitude should we have? We shouldn't have, like, we should be grateful, or look for accolades, or things like that, or compliments for preaching the word. Uh, Luke 17.10 says, So likewise, you, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. If you know, if you know the Bible and you want to teach, then that's your duty to teach. We shouldn't look for any kind of gratitude or praise from it. Because that's what God would want us to do. And that's the right thing to do. You know, but sometimes teachers go beyond their word. You know, look what um, Paul wrote to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 said, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos, for your sakes, and that you may learn in, in, in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Don't go beyond what is written. A lot of people bring their own thoughts, their own attitude into preaching the word. But if it's not written, don't go there. Don't go there. You know, a lot of things are answered in the Bible, but not everything. A lot of people come up to me sometimes and say, what do you think of this? You know, it's not in the Bible. I said, I'm, I'm not going to go there. It's, it's not written, and I can't really tell you, give you an answer. You know, I can't speak for God because it's not written. Yeah, but, but, but no, I'm not going to go there. So we shouldn't make up things if it's not written and truly spoken through God because that's how we can get ourselves in trouble. People make, can read two or three verses in a chapter and make a whole scenario that doesn't mean what that chapter is all about. But we can't go beyond what is written because we'll be held accountable for that. So he goes on in verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in the word, he is a perfect man, able to also to bridle the whole body. Of course, nobody's perfect. But he's talking about if we, if we were perfect, that we could bridle a whole body that we wouldn't make mistakes like that. But then he goes and he also says that we stumble in many things. 
And then he goes on to talk about the tongue. He says in verse 3, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that may obey us, and we turn their whole body. And look, also ships, for they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. So we compare little things to big things. Compare like the rudder and the bit and what horse's mouth that moves this gigantic animal back and forth. You know, and it's only a small thing compared to the, to the whole body of the animal. And you talk about ships, giant ships, or this small rudder compared to the size. He's comparing our tongue the same way. But even though it's the smallest member in our body, it can do great evil. It can ruin marriages, it can ruin friendships. It could, it could get in between brothers and sisters. You know, sometimes it's better to be quick to listen and slow to speak. You know, our words can really hurt people. You know, we can say things off the cuff and not realize that they really hurt people. You, know, you can threaten people and you can ruin a relation between two brothers or friends or family. So we have to be quick to listen, and slow to speak. You know, a lot of times uh, people say I'm very quiet. But I'm quiet because before I came to the Lord, I, didn't, I was quick to speak. I mean, I would, my mouth was the dirtiest mouth that you could have. It, I mean, it, it, anything would set me off. But when I came to the Lord, I realized that I had to change and that he could change me. And I became more of a listener now than a, than a, than a speaker. So I think, you know, if we can learn to, be, to listen more and speak slowly, I think we would better both as Christians and better have relationships with each other. So he goes on to say, see how great a forest a little fire kindled, a little match. He had a little match and he threw it in the forest burn up thousands and thousands of acres. Again, he's referring to the tongue, right? And he says in verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among the members that it defiles the whole body and sets fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Now, that's interesting. I don't know if you guys remember that when last time I was up here, I think a few when they, Wednesdays back, that I did uh, a teaching on Lazarus and the rich man, and how the poor Lazarus was outside his, his uh, gate begging for food, and the rich man didn't do nothing. Then eventually they both died. Both of them, one went to a place of comfort, and another went to a place of torment. And let me show you on on Luke 16, 24, he says, Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So it's interesting that it was his tongue that was on fire to cool the flame, but he was suffering because of what he did on earth. In verse 7, 
continue for every kind of beast and bird of reptile, creature of the sea is tamed, has been tamed by mankind. Let me tell you now, if you think that you can change yourself on your own, you can't. If you think you have a vile mouth and your tongue is, is offending people, and you think you can change yourself, that's impossible. You have to realize there's only one person that can change you. It's not yourself. It's Jesus Christ. And when, when you're within him, you can change. And you have to know that he can change you. And you have to have that in your heart that you can do that. You know, but you can't do it on your own. And you have to realize that. And he goes on and says, But no man can tame the tongue. He's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Again, the tongue is unruly, evil, full of deadly poison. And in verse 9 he says, Whither we bless our God and Father, and then we curse men. Like I said, the tongue can't be tamed by human effort. And it talks about that in, in Proverbs all the time. If we look at Proverbs 11.9, it says, The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge and righteousness will be delivered. Proverbs 15, verse 4 says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perversiveness, it breaks its spirit. And Proverbs 10, 19 says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. So, our, our tongue is a deadly fire that we have to control. So in verse 10, it says, Out of the same mouth receives blessing and cursing, my brethren. These not ought to be. If you're a true Christian, how could you be cursing and swearing to somebody and then be going to church on Sunday morning? You know, it just can't be. And he makes these comparisons. He, he says to him, Does a spring send forth fresh water and, and bitter from the same opening? No, it can't be, right? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? No. Does a grape vine bear figs? No. You can't go an apple tree and expect bananas. Right? He's talking about a, a contrary to nature. You can't go to a peach tree and, and find watermelon. Right? Same thing as a Christian. If you call yourself a Christian, you can't be talking to your brother in a filthy mouth or putting him down or trying to destroy him with what words that you say. So that's the comparisons he, he brings up. So, you know, we live in a society that verbal abuse becomes very easy. We can verbally abuse somebody profoundly and have the same effect as hitting them with your fist. You know, so... Right now, I'd like to talk to the men of this fellowship uh, because God told us that we need to be leaders and protectors of our family. But how can we be leaders and protectors of our family if we verbally abuse our wife or our kids or other relatives? How can we protect them? It's like, 
having a police department that's corrupted to protect the town or community. How can they protect the community if they're a corrupted force? Same with, with our families as men. How could we protect our families if we've become corrupted and verbal abusive? Colossians 3, 19-24, this is what Paul, Paul wrote. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And how do we be bitter and how do we provoke? We provoke and be bitter by our words. And how, how can we cure that? What do we have to do? You know, you can curse men and still come to church and call yourself a Christian. What does Matthew say about that in the book of Matthew? This is what Jesus says in Matthew 12. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, that he will give account of it in the day of judgment. We will be accountable for the things we say the people we hurt. We will, have, we will have judgment on what we do with our lives and the way we speak and treat people. God is listening. God knows. You can't hide from the Lord. You know, when it comes time to come in front of him, we will be called to answer. But where does this come from? Where does this feeling come from? If we look at Luke 6, 45, it says this, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. So it's not a mouth problem. It's a heart problem. And we talked about that many times up here. Is that It's your heart that does what you do. And you need to come to the Lord with that. Well, that evil will stand out in your heart if you don't get rid of it. And you can't do it on your own. And the only way that you can do it is through Jesus Christ. So I just, I just want to say that if, if there's someone here that's... And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about you know, all you guys that you, you know, you're cursing and swearing at, at your friends and your wife. No, we all stumble. I've been married 25 years, and I said things that I had to apologize for. I'm not talking about that. We all stumbled somewhere along. I'm talking about the man who constantly puts down his wife, puts down his family on a daily basis, then comes to church and praises the Lord. That's who I'm talking about. And, and if you're living with somebody like that, you need to let somebody know. If you're taking daily abuse, it's just as bad that's having fists thrown at you. You have to talk to somebody. Either come here and talk to the pastors or see somebody because it has to stop, especially if there's children. So in the next section, James takes a little turn and talks about heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom and the contradiction to that. And in verse 13 he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? 
Let him show by good con- conduct that he works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking or self-ambition in your hearts, do not boast and lie about against the truth. So what is bitter jealousy? Bitter jealousy says, I see what he got and I want that. That's bitter jealousy. Taking something that somebody else has and say, I want the same thing. Selfish ambition is selfish ambition being that I want to have the rich house. I want that Mercedes Benz Lamborghini. I want that $100,000 job. And that's what I want. And that's what I'm looking for. And that's selfish ambition. And you know, thinking about that, we do that to our kids, don't we? When our kids are looking at college and trying to find a college and stuff, you know, don't we tell them, oh, well, you got to get that good job. You know, if you only go to this college, you're going to make $100,000, you'll, you'll get that executive job. So if we put this inside of our kids' head. But this is, this is what their goal is. This is what they should do. You know? What we should be doing is, why did God put you on this earth? What can you do for the glory of God? And where your edu- what education can you get that will glorify him? That's what we should be talking about instead of telling kids about how rich they can get if they go to college and, and the good job they're going to get. That's the problem. You know, that's the problem with, with uh, society today and the kids too. They've got to be in, in confusion about where they are today. James says, do not boast and lie against the truth. That is not, don't say it's normal behavior, because it's not normal Christian behavior. You know, normal Christian behavior, we got an example of living our lives when Jesus, during the Last Supper, girded himself and he washed the feet of the disciples, even Judas Iscariot, before he went to betray him. That's the example we should follow, is that he who comes that serves. And that's the example that we should be following. And that's the, the right Christian behavior. So he goes on in, in verse 15. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly and sensual demonic. He talks about that self-ambition and bitter jealousy is earthly, we call worldly wisdom. And it's demonic. It's it's the evidence of Satan in this world. And the Bible tells us Satan is, is let free in this world to run this world the way he wants. And that's what you're seeing today. You know, it's a demonic possession. It's, it's Satan cultivating our children, telling them what all the immorality that's going on, the confusion that's within them. That's, that's, that's sensual and that's a demonic. And look what he said what happens for for where every <clears throat> verse sixteen, for where every envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. These kids are confused today. You know, going to school, what they're being taught. You know, it's just you know the thing about trying to teach kids is sometimes, as Christians, we become accustomed to it. You know, it doesn't phase us sometimes the worldly wisdom that, goes, that is out there and what's out in the world. You know, you know my, my four-year-old grandchild has a lap, uh, iPad. 
and he knows how to turn it on, you know, pick the app he wants to play with, you know. But if I took the iPad, gave it to my 97-year-old father-in-law, he wouldn't know what to turn it on, he wouldn't know what button to put, nothing. Because he wasn't raised in it, right? Kids today are being raised in this worldly wisdom, you know. They're, they're in confusion, you know. That wisdom has its own fruit. It has its immoral fruit. Kids today don't know if they're a girl, they're a boy, you know, what gender they should call themselves, what kind of pronoun they should use. It's just confusion, and that's what worldly wisdom does. It confuses a whole generation. But then he talks about heavenly wisdom. He says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And he's talking about the fruit of worldly wisdom and the fruit of godly wisdom. Right? With godly wisdom, you get purity, you get wholesomeness, you get healthy habits. Right? There's an openness to reason. Is this world open to reason? I don't think so. Going back to selfish ambition, can you, we could pray about politicians who have selfish ambition, and we can pray all day long. But what happens when we, when we see it in our own home? What do we do? You know, we could pray about politicians and the corruptness there, but if we see it in our own home, what do we do about that? We're just going to have to repent, first of all. We have to recognize it, that it's in our own home, and not turn our heads from it, and pray about it, and ask Jesus to resolve it for us. Another product of godly wisdom is mercy. And how do we know we have mercy? Because when we come to the cross of Jesus Christ, we know that we are all the same. You know, I'm just like you. We're just the same together. We're all on the same plane level. And so... Your mis- I could see your mistakes because I got the same mistakes. But we have mercy for each other because we are all equal. And that's what coming to the cross does for us. It makes us equal. No one's better than anybody else. We're all the same. And that's the mercy. And that's the sincerity that we get also from being having godly wisdom. You know, the only place that we can get the word from is from this book right here. This is the only answer to this world today. And where we're going to find sincerity and peace, right? And we should be influenced by the word and not by the world. Amen? You feel like you got a spanking from James? I know. That's a, and we must be in the book of James. Right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together, dear Lord. Tonight in the Word, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your instruction in guiding us through the book of James. We pray, Father, that you will speak to us about what's true and what's good and that the wisdom from above will touch us, touch us, touch us all and touch our hearts and we will begin to see the positive things that come from it and the wisdom from your Word, dear Lord. Just uh, ask you to bless everyone here tonight with 
travel mercies going home, that everyone gets safe, dear Lord, and that we just thank you for your grace and your mercy. And most of all, we thank you for that special gift of salvation that was given through your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.